Hello and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange, powered by Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. In this episode of the Fidelity ETF Exchange, host Etienne Janka Bouchard welcomes Ghislaine Maillet, District Vice President at Fidelity Investments Canada. The objective of today's episode is to get some refreshing perspectives on the Canadian ETF industry and its evolution over time from the eyes of a seasoned industry expert. Etienne and Ghislaine explore interesting questions such as when was the true rise of ETFs in Canada? What are some of the main use cases for ETFs in advisor and investor portfolios? How do you balance active and passive exposure? And many more. This podcast was recorded on September 6th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fidelity ETF Exchange. I'm your host, Etienne Jocca Bouchard, a.k.a. EJB. And um, I'm very excited to be back in, in my home studio recording another episode today. We have a great guest, a friend of mine, and also a mentor since I've joined Fidelity. So I'm very happy to have a great conversation uh, with our guest. That'll be coming up very soon. But before we do, uh, as always, quick recap of our last episode in which uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with a, a colleague of mine, Cameron Chamberlain, who is a portfolio strategist here at Fidelity. Uh, it was a really, really good one. We had the chance to talk about asset allocation, uh, some key risks that have been identified that have kind of arose, if you will, over the past year, how to, I guess, address some of those risks in portfolios with the help of Fidelity, uh, you know, Fidelity tools, Fidelity research, and, you know, something that can be incorporated into advisor and investor portfolios. So we talk bonds, we talk equities, factors, uh, and lots of different things. And for anybody that's interested in reviewing that episode, it is available on your favorite podcast app under the Fidelity ETF exchange, as well as on our website at uh, www.fidelity.ca. All right, well, let's get started. Uh, so my guest today, uh, named Ghislaine Maillet, uh, Ghislaine has been at, at Fidelity for close to 20 years now. Uh, Ghislaine, how are you doing? Pretty good, but I, I realize I don't have a cool acronym name like yours. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in Jean-Claude doesn't work in English too? No, that, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty tough one. And let's just say, well, in this case, and, and we're actually going to be doing uh, an episode in French also. Uh, which is quite unique. Uh, it's one of the first times, so we're happy that, that you're a French speaker. But yes, most of the guests I have on here cannot pronounce my name. <laughs> so that's why we have to... Re- I can 100% <laughs> <Yeah>. relate. <laughs> Perfect. No, I, I mean, this was an idea that's kind of come up over the past couple of weeks, months, where I wanted to have a chat with somebody that's had boots on the ground for a long time, working with advisors across the country, uh, as a consultant, as a representative, somebody that's, you know, worked with very different types of advisors also as much on the IROC side, MFDA side, 
You've done investor seminars. I mean, you've touched pretty much everything over the course of your career on top of your academic background, uh, you know, with a master's in economics uh, also, which I think can bring, you know, really interesting perspectives to the conversation. So all in all, just very glad to have you here. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. So let's, I mean, let's get started. The first question I always ask a, a new guest is to get a better understanding for our audience of what it is exactly that, that you do. Uh, is what does the day in the life of of Gislain Mayel look like? Well, that day has changed since uh, COVID <laughs> happened. Uh, for those Absolutely. that don't really, uh, if this is for public content, uh, for those that don't know the wholesaling world, wholesalers are basically uh, the best comparison is like a pharmaceutical rep, but instead of doctors, it's stockbrokers and financial planners. Instead of medication pills and different types of prescriptions, it's financial instruments, investments, CTFs, funds, private pools, etc. So before the day of a wholesaler or a day of Gislain was on the road Monday to Friday, uh, quite intensively. And then COVID happened and we rapidly adapted to virtual. And I really like the stance of Fidelity, which is not just about COVID or the new technologies. It's also about, they want to decarbonize our job. So yeah. we are trending and we are now virtual half the time or roughly. And the other half is, or roughly. So two to three days a week, I will be based at home doing a lot of Zooms or Teams recording clips to send to my territory and my clientele and the other few days a week i'm gonna go meet them in person so it's a it's a it's it's a it's a job that's quite social but has taken a turn uh, for technology since covid technology and and also information sharing in the sense that you know you've you've now entered this kind of hybrid role in which the the way that you go about your business and working with your advisors and sharing that information and perspectives about our managers and all that because at the end of the day you are working with them to i guess enhance their business and enhance their business model and which is obviously changed dramatically because of that you know hybrid aspect yeah kind of like this podcast we you know we're, we're talking here we're recording it it's going to send out people can listen to whatever they want Technology's changed a lot of things about the role of a representative because I can record something similar um, mm -hmm. or and then send it out. So the the day the day of the typical day of Jusslain is changing quite a quite frequently. But I guess uh, that's that's the constant thing about life. Absolutely, absolutely. Change will always be there. Yeah. And and like you mentioned, I think we're all very happy also that Fidelity's been quite uh, you know, at the forefront of, of this change. So we're really excited about the future. And, you know, we have all these great tools and it allows us like, for example, for me, like two years ago, I was not running this podcast. And, you know, we didn't have this platform in which we can share tons of great information to to our audience and reach a lot more people than, than we when we could, you know, when we were only on the road. So uh, very happy with that. And I think, you know, to, to, to go to the next step here into the conversation where uh, the objective, like I said, you've had experience talking with tons of advisors over time, working with them, building out their practice. Our show is focused on ETFs. And I know you, you know, obviously Fidelity has been primarily an active mutual fund shop for the better part of hundred years. Uh, but we've also, once again, kind of like the workspace we've adapted over time in terms of our product offering. And we've entered the ETF space And this podcast more specifically is about the Canadian ETF industry to help, provide more information to advisors and investors on how to incorporate ETFs into a portfolio, what to consider when selecting ETFs. And I'm sure you've done that exact same process with, with those, you know, clients. Um, so 
you know, ETFs came around around in the early mid 90s. The first actual ETF was in Canada in 1990 called the you know Toronto Index Participation Shares. Didn't quite catch on. The largest ETF to this day, SPY, uh, arrived in 1993. But the growth of ETFs really started, it seems like, in the early 2000s. And I'd say probably post-Great Financial Crisis. But in your eyes, when you know, when did you realize that advisors were deciding and beginning to incorporate ETFs into their portfolios? And I'd say advisors, but advisors, investors incorporating them into their portfolios a lot more. Well, they were, they were in the, in the landscape for all of my career, which is, which started January, 2000, but um, to, to, um, to parallel growth, like on one side, the do-it-yourselfers, uh, reading all kinds of passive literature, which is generally bullish for stocks long-term. And I adhere to that because stocks go up to the left, up to the right, sorry, on, 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 on charts long-term. So um, Warren Buffett kind of talked it up a, a lot in his letters. And I think that was a compelling message for people that follow him. But when it comes to our industry, the early adopters or the ones that are uh, I would argue the discretionary portfolio managers in my territory back in New Brunswick, the, the early portfolio managers, which kind of started with RBC Dominion Securities, but then got broader base with other bank branch. And now it's, it's, it's getting even more common. But uh, when they started doing fee-based accounts, um, that's when ETS started taking share of all kinds of other products, including funds. So it started like that. It kept growing. I agree with you, Etienne, that the financial crisis back in 2008 was kind of a reset to, to how do I build my portfolio going forward? A lot of things change. ETF took a big bite out, out of the share of wallet. Um, but as much as it's huge in the States, I would argue it still has a lot of room to grow in Canada because a lot of Canadians are still very happy and well-served with funds. And a lot of advisors are still... Coming to grips, coming to grips with this new, new tool, this new offering, this new option, mm-hmm. and and so I think it's 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 relatively early earnings, for yeah. innings I should say for for Canada. That, that's a really interesting point because you know it feels like we're always kind of not a step behind necessarily because I mean technically the first ETF was made in Canada, right? So like technically we're the first movers here, but <laughs> it didn't really get adopted by the retail side like it did in the US as early, I think. And that's kind of what you're alluding to is that incorporation to portfolios more commonly and using various passive tools, which was kind of the first iteration of ETFs, no doubt. I mean, replicating based on market cap is really been kind of that it's still 70% of the Canadian ETF industry. So no doubt, remains a large chunk, but that ETF vehicle has, has evolved also. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But, you know, to your point, when you mentioned the way that we construct portfolios changed post, you know, GFC in 2008, there was about 17 billion in assets and ETFs in Canada. We're up to 300 billion now. So more than 10 times growth in 14 years. It's quite impressive. And, and like you mentioned, there's probably still some some room to grow so i guess the 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 the, there there's no more of that questioning i think that it's going to go away is that something that you realize in the early days that people were expecting maybe the etf is kind of a fad and it was going to go away or is it now just it you know the way the way i lived it when it when it started um 
the early proponents of ETFs were saying, this is going to replace mutual funds and it's going to take over the world. But I, I, I never bought into that. And, and since then, the mutual fund industry has grown as well. Fidelity's mutual fund book has grown as well. So I would argue there's a lot of money for a lot of different solutions out there. There's room for ETF, there's room for funds, there's room for private pools, there's room for individual stock investors. The, the whole pie is just growing because there's more money out there. Kind of like when I started, people were saying, oh, discount brokerage is going to kill the advisor. 22 years later, advisors just got bigger and bigger. And discount <laughs> brokerage still, is still there and offering yeah. what they got to offer. So same thing for ETF. But there was an aha moment when uh, BlackRock, with its assets, predominantly ETFs, surpassed the assets of Fidelity World, which is a big, big company in terms of assets. So when they, when they surpassed us, I don't remember exactly the year, but it was a good 10, probably 10, 13 years ago. Uh, that's when I realized that ETFs uh, was a big player and they weren't going anywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you've seen, once again, like that, that evolution, I think, in terms of acceptance or understand, that's not the right word, understanding of the vehicle itself. Because uh, even when we started out launching ETFs back in, in, in 2018 here at Fidelity Canada, I mean, we had done it in the US before that, but it was kind of a new space for us and working, you know, in partnerships with our investors and advisors is there is still a lot of misunderstanding around the ETF vehicle and, and kind of this and there still is today, right? Like I'm not, I'm not saying it's like my job here is done. <laughs> That's not the case. Um, but I think we've come a long way still. Um, uh, but where I was like, I was going with that is the ETF vehicle itself is, is allows you for a lot of flexibility also. Right. And I think a lot of advisors and investors were looking at this and saying there's inherent risks because they're all like this and kind of putting them into like an ETF is this and a fund is this when in reality, the actual portfolio management is much more important. You know, what, what, act, what you're actually buying in terms of, you know, bonds, equity, securities, whatever, whatever you're putting in there is much more important than the wrapper. And uh, they still think, they think the 70% of the ETF market that's passive is a hundred percent. Yeah. When it's not, I'm still to this day, 2022, meeting with advisors that think, I don't want to buy index. I want active management. Yeah. So, so just by hearing that from uh, not all advisors, but some advisors that are general, that are still closed to looking yeah. into this because for different reasons, uh, that's what, that's what comforts me that we still have all well, comforts. It, it tells me we still have a lot of work to do on the educational front because mm -hmm. especially for Fidelity Canada, because Except for the Bitcoin ETF, which is truly passive. We're just holding in a very secured way someone's Bitcoin exposure in any kind of account they want. Short of that, every other ETF we offer is either straight out active, like Jeff Moore and Michael Play's bond funds, or mm -hmm. smart beta, where yeah. there's, a, there's an algorithm that is actively selecting stocks, whether it's annually, semi-annually. Or correlate, that's another thing. But so I, I think that message is starting to get out there, but there's still a, a lot, a lot to go. So, so I think uh, our job is is not done. It's not done. Yeah, no. I, but it's it's really interesting because I think you've seen over the past five years some very successful active ETFs come around, 
right? And and to name one, Ark, for example, just from an asset gathering perspective, was a great success story, right? Obviously, it's very niche. It's very high active share, high beta. It's not, you know, it's not for everyone. Nasdaq but, volatility squared. But but it's still a a, a very successful brand. And yep. I think a lot of managers, as like like Fidelity, who also have, you know, in the U.S., we have some of our flagship funds available in ETF structures now and active equity funds. And that's, you know, a potential avenue, you know, like we see more growth there in the future as an industry. How do you how do you kind of what you were describing? How do you address that with with advisors who and I don't want to put you on the spot and feel free to, to kind of navigate this question however you like, but. You know, how do you address that educational component of saying, or how do you show other stuff exists to say that it's not all passive? Well, I think the market's going to do it, do part of the job yeah. for us. Now, this mm -hmm. is entering personal opinions about the market, but one of the reasons these passive ETFs have grown in popularity, you, you name the SPY, the, the S&P 500 passive ETF, which it's been around for a long time, almost three decades next year. Yeah, it replicates the S&P 500, which in this last 13 years or so was in a raging secular bull market, very difficult for a lot of portfolio managers in different regions to keep up with the rate of return of the S&P 500. The same can be said even more so for the QQQ, which replicates mm -hmm. the NASDAQ. But if this inflationary regime puts a stop or a break on multiples expansion. The fact that for each dollar of profits for the last 10 years, we were paying more per each dollar of profit each year, mm -hmm. except for a few uh, volatile years. The general trend was there's more and more money. Money's cheaper and cheaper. So for each dollar of profit of an index, we'll pay more and more. So a large part of the return was multiple expansion. And not to take away anything from these mega cap mm -hmm. technology companies, which are also cash cows, growing their earnings and cash flow, which is fundamentally a good thing. But add this new monetary regime in the picture where we used to be just pressing the, the accelerator every time there was a problem. Now yeah. the actual problem is inflation. So we got to press the brakes. I think it will get easier to outperform from an active management perspective. These very, very popular ETFs that are especially popular with your do-it-yourselfers Mm -hmm. that just want to buy the S&P 500 and close their eye and just, just keep buying that. My The first 12 years of my career, that SPY ETF did nothing because I yeah. started the career at the top of a tech bubble. <laughs> there can be period where the most popular and most efficient equity index, such as the S&P 500, do nothing for years. And that's where we could be heading or we a pad we could have started roughly a year a year ago when inflation popped up and and the implications of that a new monetary regime raising rising interest rates and and compressing multiples i think it's going to force the the natural etf buyers to broaden their view to include smart beta yeah. more selective type etfs vehicle um Maybe it's going to shake the trust of do-it-yourselfers, which has nothing to do with the ETF. It's the actual index, which was on a tear, mm -hmm. which could be in a period of softer returns and more volatile return. Um, 
I think those could be catalysts to have them broaden their scope of what is ETS, what's available out there, and hopefully uh, yeah. EGB is going to fill the void. That's that's such a great point because when you're in a bull market, when there's very little lapses in terms of like if you go from like I guess even 2009 say to 2020, you had 2016 was a bit rougher, 2018, but you take those like couple quarters or even say say a full calendar year, which was a bit tougher, it was fairly straightforward. Same type of stuff was working. You had some pockets where certain sectors, certain factors did better. But if you take like the full time period, those broad indices, which are inherently momentum driven because you are buying the the most of the largest stocks, which some type, you know, it's in a certain way, diverted on itself. Exactly. But it's it's deservedly so to a certain extent where, say, for example, Apple's not the biggest company in the world for nothing. Right. But it's it's, it's extremely rare that you hear either a portfolio manager, you know, uh, whoever, a specialist in, say, on markets, say, the one reason I'm buying this stock is because it's the biggest. Right? Like, like I, Never. I think I've never heard that. Oh, there you go. So, They'll say I'll buy larger companies because I want to mitigate risk and I want stability. Yes, as a basket. Yeah, but it's, it's a second-order decision versus this is the biggest company from market cap. That's a reason to buy. That's true. Managers so, don't think that way. But But to a certain extent, the logic can apply a little bit, right? And I think where a lot of what we've, what you've just explained with regards to equity markets, where we had that bull market, you know, active management, there was some managers that that did outperform. Obviously, a lot of managers can outperform, but it was just, it was a tougher period. It yeah, was not enough it, managers were outperforming. Yeah. So, but, but what we've already, that shift that might happen on the equity side now, where the largest portions of the S&P 500 might not do as well as it did in the past 10 years, I feel like active bond managers have already shown that value, right? Like if you look at the past five years, the growth in active bond ETFs and active bond funds in general, like that are more, less tied to the long duration, high high credit quality, uh, you know, government bond focused mandates. If you've deviated from that, you've already shown your your worth. And I think ETFs have taken a part of that you know, already. And we've done it here at Fidelity, obviously, with with the mandates you mentioned earlier in, 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 in the, the mandates managed by Jeff Moore, Michael Plage and their team. But is there other parts you're seeing? That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing like actives starting to take a big chunk out of fixed income. And, and you're potentially expecting that ha- happen on, on the equity side. But I'll add you- another argument for the equity side, because for the, for the fixed income side, it's obvious. You know, I, I, I'm sure you talked about this before, but if you're replicating an index, you're just going to borrow more and more money to whoever wants to borrow more money. There's no, there's no common sense discrimination between are you worthy of me borrowing you more money or am I borrowing you more money just because you're emitting more bonds? Uh, but when it comes to stocks, we were in a market where this sounds weird, but it, it was the case where profits didn't matter that much. It was... Mm-hmm. The best performing stocks for many years in the last 10 years was narrative stocks, stocks that had a great story about the future. We're going to have the best battery in five years from now, and we're going to change the world and save the world, or whatever story was getting the bid mm-hmm. because there was a lot of money and there was a lot of confidence. Again, inflation changes all that. When the cost of living goes up, we want to get paid right away. And Show me the goods. Profits right matter. <laughs> yeah. So- 
I think a lot of index products that incorporated companies that didn't necessarily have profits are going to have a tough time holding up with active managers, whether they're in an ETF or a fund. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. like you said it before, what economically, what you're exposed to under the hood is what drives your risk return. I think um, discriminating between companies that actually have profits and they're sustainable and they can pass on inflation to consumer, that kind of active exercise um, is mm -hmm. really coming back in 2022. And that could have legs. If inflation have legs, that behavior has legs. And I think that's where um, the smart beta side of ETFs are yeah, going to gain exactly. popularity. I'm seeing it, it in my territory. Yeah. August was probably my best month for actively or smart beta ETF since we launched our Fidel ETF. So maybe, mm -hmm. uh, maybe signs of things to come. Yeah, no, it's and and what you just described there in terms of like actual show me fundamental proof that your business is working now. And it's hopefully will continue that in the future. Sounds a lot about, uh, you know, uh, a factor that, that that's called high quality, whereas you're you're focusing on highly profitable businesses, stable business models. I mean, we I've talked about it many times on the show with various guests, but high quality at the end of the day, you're looking for high margins, high return on invested capital, stable margins, stable profits. So you're getting a lot of them and you're keeping them relatively stable over time. And I think that's just, it seems like it could resonate in a period where, like you said, is you know, investors may be looking for the goods now in terms instead of promises of the future, which nobody has a crystal ball, but it seems like going back to the fundamentals, you might see more value put into economically viable firms now. Or just straight out common sense. Because there was periods the last couple of years where... <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. Common sense was not that common. Absolutely. It's getting... It's, we're, we're coming back. Absolutely. So, I, you know, we're coming up on about 25 minutes now already. I mean, it feels like it flew by. Um, I have a, one last question for you. And it's, once again, kind of with regards to more portfolio construction here. So we talked about how the shift away from passive potentially to active for the next decade in equities could happen. I mentioned we're already seeing it on fixed income. How, what are the mo most common combinations that you see in portfolios? Like how is, because I think now there's no art, it, there shouldn't be a battle between the, you know, the really passive pe people who believe only in passive and people who believe, believe only in active. There's room for both in portfolios. How do you see that interpreted uh, when working with 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 your with your clients? So far, with my clients, the most a few common practice uh, there is still a recognition that the S and P five hundred is a tough index to beat long term. Therefore, some of my clients, when it comes to allocating U.S. equities, the spy is going to have a big share of that pot. Mm -hmm. They can the the U.S. market is such a diverse and deep, broad market that you could still add a couple of factors and straight out an active manager mm -hmm. to that team. But I often see that um, they're going to go passive with the S&P 500 and very active for the TSX because mm -hmm. it's the opposite of the S&P 500. Many managers, if not most of the managers, outperform the Canadian stock market. So uh, I, I, I put a lot of credence to that approach where if it's a market that's tough to beat, just join it. And if, yeah. it's a, if it's a market that's easier to beat, beat it. Uh -huh. Hire a manager that you believe is going to continue beating it. So that's one common practice. Another common practice is these um, fully diversified ETFs. 
I didn't think they were going to become this popular, especially with a fully licensed advisors that typically like to retain a lot of decision-making in many aspects of their diversification, but they are popular. So um, the thing though, is that if you compare the three big passive ETF providers, so we're talking IRA or iShare, we're talking Vanguard. In Canada, you can add BMO to that team Mm -hmm, and there's mm -hmm. others. Um, When you look at their fully diversified ETFs though, and it's not surprising, they've all behaved in a very similar way. I could not be more proud of the work that you worked on it, but there's a whole lot of people Mm -hmm. behind you from an analytical side with 80 some year of Fidel experience from on quantitative research that built that built our fully diversified ETFs. Because since we did, um, it, it's it's fun. To, well, for a Fidelity employee, it's fun to see. Yeah, like you have the three passive portfolios that are all behaving the same way. It's it's been a very interesting uh, process to get here. Obviously, it took us three years to have enough you know, things on the shelf to be able to build a full recipe, if you will. Um, and and so far, uh, we're extremely happy with the differentiation we can have with with main competitors and uh, the outright asset allocation that's been done by the team. But that's definitely a trend I think I can confirm is, I mean, that is an area that's grown substantially over the past two years among all providers, Fidelity included, every competitor included. It's a space that is simple, right? You get ac- exposure to ten to fifteen ETFs in a one, t- you know, one one ticket solution. Diversified globally, diversified from a sector standpoint. Those are, yeah, I think, solutions that are only going to continue to grow as as investing gets continues to get more complicated, right? Um, so that's a really good point. I just wanted to add one last little comment because I thought it was super interesting about tougher markets to beat. You know, Canada versus U.S. That's one emerging markets you know, international developed markets, like, I think uh, the success of passive can, it, it should not necessarily be applied directly to all indices, right? Like some indices are just better constructed than others. Like the S&P 500 has a much higher average net margin than, say, the EM market. And the return and on equity in US or North America is much equity, higher leverage. than So anyways, I, I just wanted to finish with that. Gislaine, this has been absolutely awesome. Any final words before we go? Well, don't just look at uh, how the, the investment vehicle is wrapped. Take the time to look under the hood to know what you own. Great comment. I love to finish with that. I'm not going to add anything. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This has been great. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity ETF Exchange, powered by Fidelity Connects. Don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a five-star rating or review. Thanks again. See you next time.